This is Jake Brown from Computer Club Records, and you're listening to my chapter on As the Story Grows. Welcome to the next chapter of As the Story Grows. I'm Brian Patton. This week, we welcome Jake Brown from Computer Club Records. Jake also did stints in Decahedron, 238, and Moments in Grace. I'd forgotten Jake had done an episode of Urban Achiever, and had I remembered that, I probably wouldn't have asked Jake to do the show, but I'm so glad I forgot and had Jake on, because we were able to talk about the writing process of Regulate the Chemicals, being on a major label and having poor management (laughs) and what's it like to follow in the footsteps of joe lolly jonathan ford and liam wilson plus the future of computer club records so i hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode with jake brown out if I have like a personal connection to anybody I'm talking to like did I see them live that made an impact to me is there some weird relational connection here and I think the only time I ever saw you perform live was actually with Frodis on their I guess their reunion tour they did a full tour um yeah when they did their reunion in what was that oh eight oh nine something like that yeah it was um Gosh, yeah, I think it was oh nine. Yeah, um, yeah, because that I, was when my yeah, that was when my daughter was born. Yeah, yeah. Were, were you, are you in Orlando? Uh, no, I'm in. I'm currently in Philadelphia, but at the time I was in D.C. Oh, okay. So you were at the Black Hat. I was at the Black Hat. Yeah, no, I I had seen them uh, on their initial reunion show. I I have a loose acquaintance with Jason, and he was like, "Hey, we're playing Murky Coffee." which is now Northside Social, and that was with Liam Wilson on bass. And then when I saw him at Black Hat, you were on bass because Frodus has a new bass player every time they perform. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, they actually, they reached out to me to do those shows. um, When they first decided to do the reunion shows, they reached out to me, and I couldn't do them. I was devastated. Um, I couldn't do them. Because it just well, I had very good reason. My my daughter was being born, so I, I couldn't do the yeah. first couple that they did um, with South by Southwest and that other the other one you mentioned. Um, but I think it was kind of a a hey to make it up to you that Decahedron broke up. Let's uh, maybe let's do some shows. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, luckily I was able to join them for the the last few. So yeah. What's, what's it been like playing with, not just playing with Jason and Shelby, but having to follow in the footsteps of Joe Lolly from Fugazi and then Liam Wilson from Dillinger Escape Plan? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and Jonathan Ford, because Jonathan was the, yeah. was the uh, 
touring basis when my my band Moments in Grace toured with Decky Edron Jonathan was playing bass and all three yeah. of those guys to me are just absolutely legends you know I, I mean Dillinger Pugazi I, I, yeah it, it was it was definitely uh, big shoes to fill um, and uh, I, I the, the few reviews that we got of the EP definitely highlighted <laughs> that that. Um, you know, I was no Joe Lally, but I mean, who is really? <laughs> so, right. Um, but it was an honor, man. It, it was an absolute honor. And uh, I, playing with Jason Shelby was by far the most gratifying music experience I've ever had. I mean, just because they're personally such great guys, such interesting people, and just the the energy was just something I've always craved, you know, to experience in a band, and it just felt so um it felt so good so immediately you know just that the moment we practiced it, it felt amazing so yeah yeah they definitely like embody organized chaos in their music both in Frodus and decahedron yeah i mean it was uh yeah Frodus to me was such a a um i mean i you know conglomerate was such a big part of my high school years listening to that was was uh such a such a big influence on me and then also the the um weapons record that came out when i was in early college and i mean it was absolutely a life-altering experience even hearing that album i mean it was just one of those those times and you know one of those listening experiences you have that you just know everything has changed <laughs> i mean it was just absolutely um it, i just the, the place in my life that i was at it just spoke to me like nothing else you know and to then years later have the chance to tour with those guys you know in the in moments in grace when we toured with them it was just so much fun and then to even play with them i mean it was just definitely uh um uh, it was surreal it was very surreal and that show that you're at the black cat that was that was definitely <laughs> that was probably my favorite show of my entire life i i tried never to miss a frota show when i because growing up in D.C., like, Frodo's, they're just a local band, so try to never miss that show. Um, touring with Moments of Grace is how you got to know those guys and how you ended up in Decahedron? Yes, yeah. So um, kind of the first, it wasn't our first tour, but it was our first long tour, first full U.S. tour that we did was uh, with Engine Down and Decahedron and um, Statistics. And I was just, I was just psyched because kind of the way Frodo's had even a piece in Moments in Grace kind of getting to where we were at the time because um, when we first started, we were called Postcard Audio and we were just like a, you know, little hometown Florida band. And um, we, we played, uh, we played a couple of shows. We we played uh, this show in Birmingham or not in Birmingham, somewhere in Alabama. Um, with Branson and the Liars Academy and the uh the guys in the Liars Academy really dug our 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 stuff so we gave them our CD and they were listening to it in the studio some of them also play in the band Strike Anywhere and uh those guys were i guess they were listening to our demo when they were recording with Brian McTurnan and Brian just I guess he he latched on to the demo loved it and reached out to me um, because it was, you know, it was on Computer Club Records. So he emailed the Computer Club Records email. And Computer Club is like this this thing I started when I was 16 years old that 
that has never been a, a real business. I mean, it's, it's been very much <laughs> the labor of, of, of love, just trying to support my friends and trying to have a way to put out my, you know, hand package and put out my own CDs and tapes and stuff. So, um, he emailed us and I, I didn't respond for a couple of months because uh, I just didn't check the email. <laughs> but, um, eventually, um, you know, when I got back to him, he was like, you guys are crazy. Like, why didn't you write me back? You know, um, I'm interested in your band. You know, I want to talk to you. And long story short, we ended up working with him. You know, he produced our record and signed us to Atlantic Records because he was working as an A&R with them at the time. And but his hook with me when I when I first talked to him on the phone, he you know he was I honestly didn't know who Brian was, and he was kind of saying, you know, I oh yeah, I, you know, I recorded Texas is the Reason and. Uh, I think he, I think piebald, and he was kind of lit, listing some great stuff, and then he said Frodus weapons, and I was like, oh, okay, all right, that's the, you know, that was like the one where he knew he got me, you know, I was like, oh yeah, like, okay, let's talk, because that's, you know, just one of my all-time favorite, favorite albums. So it was, I kind of got to know them through Brian. Yeah, he's a vocalist from Battery, yeah. Yeah, his catalog is super impressive. Um, <laughs> yeah, he yeah, kind of took yeah, he took our band under his wing, and and so while we were up there recording with him, you know, guys would stop by, and it was it was it was awesome, kind of peeking into that world because up to that point, my world was just Florida. You know, I my my first like touring band was uh, was on Takehold Records. They were called Two Thirty Eight, and and kind of Postcard Audio and Moments and Grace kind of came out of that same music scene as Two Thirty Eight. So pretty much spent a lot of time in Florida, even though 238 had done some touring, most of my experience was Florida. So that kind of meeting Brian and everyone up there opened up a whole new, you know, realm of people and friends and stuff. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. What was the Florida scene like? Because you had, you know, in the late nineties, the hardcore shy halud strong arm that morphed into newfound glory and further seems forever in 238. What was, was there something about that Florida scene that produced all that music? Well, it it was uh, kind of our our area, at least, was so cut off from the rest of Florida. You know, I, I grew up in the panhandle over there, and it was, you know, when people, th- I feel like when people think Florida, they think of, like, Gainesville, which has such a defined sound and, and you know, kind of, like, realm of bands, and then you know, maybe even South Florida, but the, the, we were kind of an island unto ourselves over there. So, so, um, which was great. I mean, it was amazing. We had, and, and the bands would come and, and tour, come through and tour. You know, I remember seeing Hot Water 238 open for Hot Water, you know, way before I was ever in 238. And, and, you know, they, the other bands from Florida would come and mix, but we had our, definitely our own thing going on, on over there. Um, it probably wasn't as, I feel like it wasn't as heavy of a music scene, you know, like it wasn't as, as um, punk or as metal. It was more of a, mm-hmm. you know, more of a, uh, I, I mean, definitely emo for sure, but I mean, it, it, there there were some great bands too. We had some bands that came down from Alabama. This one band, uh, the Shinji Akari, was like really, really important to me as a kid. Like I loved those guys. They, they were um, kind of doing an emotional hardcore kind of thing and and just seeing their shows um, at that age was like a big big deal 
Let's back up. What got you? What made you start Computer Club Records? Which I think, according to your Bandcamp page, celebrates uh, 20 years this year. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, uh, it's pretty weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so old. You know, it's uh, at my 20-year high school reunion, 20 years of Computer Club. It's very surreal. Um, but. Uh, I mean, I started it just because my I, w- I was in a band. We were called Driven, and uh, we we have a song on a on a HM magazine compilation. By the way, on the POD cover, HM magazine. If you ever were an HM reader, yeah, I tried to find that compilation today. I could not find it. <laughs> I can send it to you, but I don't know. I don't know that I want to, but I can send it to you. Well, you have the whole record on on your Bandcamp page, so. Yeah, I guess I forgot that was up there. <laughs> I don't think that thing is not aged very well, but the the guys from, from that band are still my best friends in the whole world. So there's that. And, and you know, we were just like some goofy high school kids, you know, and, and uh, we had Driven, but we also had this joke band called Metal Spike where it was just people described it as, as a drama class gone wrong. It was basically just like a, like a, you know, a way to get on stage and be be idiots and have fun, and that's that's where the name Computer Club came from because we had a song called Computer Club. Um, but yeah, we would do things like like when Two Thirty Eight would come home from tour, we sometimes Metal Spike would, or I remember Stairwell. We toured Two Thirty Eight toured with Stairwell, and when they came home to to uh, or to our area on the tour, we had Metal Spike open and kind of like spoof their songs and you know just kind of goof around so we i remember doing that to under us too at a show that we played with them but uh those were really fun times but um but yeah i mean computer club was just a way for me to to put out my first band's cd and then just like became a thing where you know there was just so many bands i loved in our area and, and i just wanted to do what i could to help so and honestly i just have this this ongoing you know 20 year later fascination with i i just love making a physical release, you know, just actually like printing it out and cutting it and hand packaging it. There's just something about it that's like, you know, a, a very enjoyable process to me. Yeah. Just kind of seeing it come to life. What what inspired you to start that where you thought, well I can just do this and put this out or this group of people we can just put these records out ourselves. What inspired you to do that? Um it's a good question. I mean, it it definitely comes from a really deep love of of music and um, just wanting to do what I could to support the the musicians I believed in, you know, and and bands that I believed in that spoke to me. Um, doing just what what little I could to 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 kind of just help them, you know, and 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 to be a part of it in some way and and to to, you know, commiserate with them and, and collaborate. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, I just am such a music nerd. I mean, just through and through, you know, I, I, it's, it's an yeah. obsession. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I guess I, I guess my curiosity was built out of like listening back to Urban Achiever again today. Uh, you talking about what what led you to like love music? Um, not that it didn't resonate with with like that punk DIY scene, but it was maybe on the outskirts of that, right? <laughs> Being a big Tears for Fears fan, as you had said. Exactly. Well, yeah, Tears for Fears were, were my, like, revelation moment, hearing them on the radio for the first time, and just that there, there's just something so... Um, uh, the Tears for Fears Elemental album, to me, is just such a deep, uh, epic, kind of sprawling album, and... and um, it just really conjured something in me that I could never stop. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and also not just hearing Tears for Fears, but the moment I, I actually, I kind of went through a, before I ever started playing music, you know, I loved music so deeply, almost to a point where I was on a pedestal. I felt like this is something I'll never be able to do myself. You know, like I would sit in my room and like, or, you know, jump around in my room and, and you know, act like I was playing guitar and just listen to Helmet or, you know, Tears for Fears or whatever, just really loud, like, pretend I was in the band. But, like, I didn't I, – I, it seemed, like, too much. Like, I could never learn how to play guitar or play an instrument. And then at some point, you know, I think around the time I was 15, you know, I, I – uh, I, I went to my dad and I said, you know, I just feel like there's, I have this heavy feeling like I need to get something off my chest and I want to be creative and I just don't know what to do. And all my friends already play guitar and I'll never be able to learn that. And I didn't even realize that he had a guitar and, and he just pulled it out of one of the cabinets with this old, um, Epiphone 12 string and, uh, which I still have. And, he said, here, just try it, you know, and that, that was kind of, it was over from there. And, and playing to me is such a deeply, um, it's such a, I mean, not to sound cheesy or anything, but it's such a, a um, like a physical experience for me, you know, it, it feels like, it, like, like, um, I, 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 like a, I don't know, just like a physical and spiritual experience, you know, very, feels very personal. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of rambling here, but it's, it's, uh, it, it, it comes from somewhere deep. And that's, that I think where I'm, where I'm trying to go with this is that with computer club, whereas I kind of always had this part of my brain that felt like, Oh, this should be a business, you know, and I should be a good businessman and do things, make decisions that make sense. And you're like, I, it's always been such a personal thing, music for me. It's been something I've never been good at monetizing in any way, shape, or form. Like I don't, like it's so purely based on instinct and feeling and no logic <laughs> that that I've never really made good decisions with it. You know, it's it's just something very hard to explain no I, I understand i'm right there with you <laughs> uh, you were in 238 um i i guess you were in 238 before and during the writing process of regulate the chemicals and the recording process of regulate uh did you say before that yeah before regulate came out during the writing process yes yeah i so yep yeah, i joined after they after they um did the Last Matter Has a Breaking Point tour. Um, 
it was kind of in a transition. Uh, see, they had toured, they'd done the Matter as a Breaking Point tour with, as a three-piece with um, Jason from, uh, Jason Anderson on drums, who played with Squad 5 for a while. And um, when they came back, they were kind of reforming, just, just get, kind of trying to get, get on the same page to write a new album. And I remember um, Kevin and DJ, DJ was the drummer and the and Kevin was the guitar player. They came into the the video store I worked at and and um you know they they said hey you know we're we're working on some stuff are you you playing music at all you know and I think at the time I borrowed Chris Staples bass to to work on some solo stuff and like yeah we heard you borrowed Chris's bass and you know it just kind of came together um, they they said hey you want to come practice and and uh, the first the very first practice we wrote the song The Sound Will Eat You which is like I think it's the like fourth track on the album yeah but we wrote that in just one one practice together it felt like magic you know it was just I, I can remember the entire practice it just felt so good um, writing with those guys it was so, so much fun yeah This Sound Will Eat You Regulate the Chemicals is such a great record I like the moment I heard it, like there, there are certain records that like just stick with you. And yet, yeah, this time will eat you. That song, um, the hook on that song. Yeah, I can understand why. If that was the first song you wrote with them, it was like <laughs> this magical moment. Because hearing that for the first time, you're like, oh my god, what a great like. Yeah, yeah, man, there, great, was, yeah. So, there was something weird at that moment. It was just. I, I get chills even as, as we're talking about it just because I go back to that moment and there was just something that's just a feeling in the air at that time and that record is just, it, it captures exactly the feeling that at least I had. I'm sure we all had it at that time. And, and I remember, I also remember writing um, the songs will write the words mm-hmm. and just the, 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 the chorus, just writing that chorus and just feeling, being so excited because I felt like I could just, every song we wrote every part we wrote i could see like a visual like it was like a again like a physical spiritual experience like i could actually feel it coming together and i could visualize it and see it and it was just it felt like magic at the time you know it was it was a it was an awesome experience i, I love the yeah. I mean, he was so influential to me. I mean, I, I think the first or second show I ever saw was 238, playing at a at a radio station, at a like a Christian radio station in Fort Walton Beach. And they were still like a punk band at the time, but just, you yeah. know, 
Chris, Chris's music just always from his earliest demos, which I still have. I mean, it's just like, I love the way he thinks. It's so unique. He's such a unique person. So um, I feel like he was really, I feel very um, like proud to have been a part of that at, at that time. And I think one of the things you said was like what drove, maybe not what drove the change in sound on that record, but what drove the band um, was the passing of Kevin Glass. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kevin Glass was was a, an amazing person. And, and I remember going into the, the um, couple of the guys in the band worked at our local Christian bookstore in the mall. And... Kevin worked there, and I remember going in one day and him saying, "Oh, you got to check out this band, Roadside Monument. You got to check this out." Like he was like the hub for for what to listen to, you know. Like he he Kevin knew what was up, you know. And he and he was also just a music aside, he was just a really gracious, loving person, and you could just feel that from him. So to lose him was just an unbelievable loss at the time. I mean, we you know. This is definitely a devastating thing for everybody and just so unexpected. So, yeah, it was definitely played a, a huge role in that band. Yeah. So you you were, one of the things you said on Urban Achiever was that when you toured with 238, there didn't seem to be much buzz. There was a lull. Was that after... Uh, was that before or after Regulate came out? I missed a little bit of what you said. You said there there wasn't much buzz. Yeah, yeah. The, like the that tour you did with them. I don't know if it was right when Regulate came out or before. Like it was kind of a dead period. Yeah, it 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 was. It was. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I yeah, the the tour was great. I mean, I, I have great memories from the tour. Um, the shows were not packed by any means, but they were all really memorable and fun. Um, but, and I do remember playing Cornerstone that year. Our, you know, Regulate came out at Cornerstone and we played most of the record at the show. And that was definitely one of my all-time favorite show experiences as well. Um, but I, you know, I ended up leaving the band and I, I still went to Cornerstone the next year and saw them play with, uh, with Ben, who, who played after me. He was a great guy, just a, a awesome musician and great person. And I was definitely jealous because they, you know, it seemed like more people had, I mean, that people had had time to digest it a little bit and kind of like know the song. So it was like, ah, oh, I wish I, I wanted so badly. I remember, I remember, uh, Standing there on the stage, I was, you know, stage standing with um, Steve from Further Things Forever, who uh, who who uh, I later went on to be in a band with. But I remember standing there with Steve and him slapping me on the back and saying, "Man, you're an idiot who left this." <laughs> I was so annoyed by it at the time. I was so pissed because I I was I really felt sad that I had that I had jumped ship so fast on the band you know it was like it would yeah would have been nice to to experience that but um what was that like that cornerstone after you left the band once tooth and nail had acquired take hold and re-released the record like yeah yeah exactly yeah they had re-released it they added two songs 
I harassed Chad from Take Hold and Tooth and Nail to, to send me a copy of the re-release because I was excited about it. Yeah. No, because, like, that's a whole different marketing machine and, like, backing and fandom coming into a band that has their record re-released on Tooth and Nail versus, like, Take Hold put out some of my favorite records of all time, including Regulate, but, like, having the Tooth and Nail machine behind it changes the whole dynamic of who hears it. Yeah, it, you know, it... It was really, oh gosh, I wish I wish I could have been in the band at that point. I, I left to go to college, and what ended up happening is I, I came to St. Augustine, Florida, to, to Flagler College, and I, w- I felt very, very lonely because I was only, I think, 19 years old at the time, and I made a very rash decision to quit and go to college. And so, you know, those guys went and did the re-release. They even, I even booked them here in town on their tour, and I just had that burning feeling like, oh, I made the wrong choice. Like, I wish I was still playing with these guys. But, you know, I was still happy for them. So, um, yeah. but yeah, I, I would have loved to have experienced that. I definitely want to talk to you about moments in grace uh, because because you guys went from local band to uh, major label signed and like <laughs> between you and Jeremy on Urban Achiever, it basically sounds like the shittiest years of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I honestly I have not been able to go back and listen to the Urban Achiever episode I was on because I, I'm I don't even really remember what I said on there. I I know I, I at some point I got super emo about it and there's just a lot of weird <laughs> there's a lot of weird um there's just a lot of weirdness with the band and it's been such a weird thing. I mean Jeremy and I to this day we still text about it. I mean, we still like call each other every once in a while and chat about it. And it's like, there was, there was, it was such a weird combination of, of awesome and totally scarring. <laughs> like, it was just the weirdest combo of the two, you know, and I wouldn't change it because, you know, it's, 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 uh, I mean, I learned so much from it, you know, but, I would maybe I would maybe if I could change a little bit of how we we handled some of it. You know, there there are there's definitely regrets, and and I still talk to all the guys from the band, and and um, we all feel that way. But but yeah, it was a it was a weird a weird uh, time. I think that Shelby from Protus wrote wrote something on. Uh, on, in his um, discography, when he mentioned that I was playing with Decahedron, I think he said he called Moments in Grace a, a car crash of emo marketing, <laughs> which I think does kind of sum it up well. We had no idea what we were going through. I mean, I, I after the fact, bought our press kit off of eBay and then saw what, what kind of things that were going out from the label to the press, and I got, we had no idea. I mean, it was a, it was a band that started out 
as honestly, it was a band that started out that should have, you know, been a band kind of more in the Coldplay, Kings of Leon kind of realm. And then we get this producer, and all of a sudden we, you know, became this, like, Warp Tour, Jimmy World, emo kind of, like, marketing machine. So it was, it was just a very odd shift that we didn't expect. Well, this is, I, I definitely try to do some research as, like, you know, Moments of Grace debut came out in 2004, and I'm like, well, what came out in 2004 in that same realm of music? And it was the beginning of the, like, awful non-emo emo boom with, like, Three Cheers for Waterloo and, um, like, like that scene. And then it was, like, the, the New York rock with, like, uh, I, I don't even remember the bands that I looked at. But there was nothing that struck me as, like, okay, Moments of Grace is trying to replicate this band's success in the new scene. But it was definitely, like, yeah, post-Bleed American, post-Places You've Come to Fear the Most, emo in the mainstream sound. And I was like, you know, not that I want to look at all major labels and be like, they're just trying to chase this sound and release more of this band. But Moments of Grace feels like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. And, you know, there... I think there can be some really great things about working with the producer. I mean, I think that there were some really gratifying parts of working with Brian as far as, you know, he really did help us um, learn how to structure a song better. You, you know, our, our songs went from six minutes down to, you know, a good three or four minutes. Um, you know, helped us kind of cut out the the needless stuff. I mean, there's there's collaboration with a producer that can be healthy. But then it can mm-hmm. also cross a line, and especially when the the vision that he had for the band was just overrode the actual band. You know, I mean, it became his vision and kind of out of our hands at a point. And right. you know, when you're that age, it's it's hard to to and you're a band that's as, as um, young and new as we were. You know, we we uh, kind of just didn't really know what to do with that. Right, right. Because, like, before your record, he had done Artist in the Ambulance, which, like, you could have been that band, but he also did Engine Down Demure, and, like, you could have been in that category of band, too. And it's like you were kind of caught between two worlds, almost, of being, like, this indie band, but on a major. So you had this pressure of success. Yeah, you know, and... It was interesting at the at the time we we didn't think that the record would actually come out on Atlantic. We thought it would come out on Brian's imprint salad days and and kind of that that's what that's what we were gearing up towards. you know it was supposed to be more of a development thing and then to eventually maybe try to do an Atlantic record but that the people at the label heard it and they I guess they liked it a lot you know they they wanted to just go ahead and and release it on on Atlantic proper. So that was a big compliment. But yeah, I think we're I think um it was weird because they actually were very very good to us. I mean they they um they even let us pick our own single, which I don't think they ever should have done. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz we just we we were too close to it to have any kind of perspective on it. But um But yeah, I mean they they were 
the the label was pretty nice to deal with. It just was we had been changed so much in the in the studio from what we were that we kind of came out like, okay, who are we? <laughs> like, what what is this now? You know, it's very it's very a, a weird process. Yeah, was it the label that made you change the name from Postcard Audio to Moments and Grace? No, that was Brian. That was Brian. Okay. It, the, 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 the label itself was very hands off. Like they were very supportive and hands off, but it was, it was, it, Brian was, you know, he, he, he told us when, when we kind of like signed on that, you know, I'm going to be a fifth member of your band. And really it was more like, <laughs> I don't know. He, he definitely took a lot of control over, over the band. Yeah. Was, was he the one that told you guys to lose the weight? Cause that is just, some unbelievable it's a it's a real shame isn't it god i wish we were a band now you know because like body shaming is clearly not happening you know and and that yeah it it was it was him that was you know part of it and um you know some of the there was there was a little support system going on kind of urging us in that direction and and um, i think some of the people involved with it like feel feel bad about that now but we don't, I, I, I don't know, hard to say. So you've been keeping Computer Club glo- going on all this time you uh i guess just the physical release of let me make sure i get this right uh i send you away or isya is how it is on bandcamp that is your kind of glitch experimental uh music you're gonna release a a greatest tits on cassette and cd uh october 31st yeah that's correct it's um the the um is your project is something i've kind of always liked to have like one really you know abrasive project to be working on and one kind of more like tears for fears influence just like more melodic thing and mm-hmm. the, the is the is stuff is just stuff i started recording back in 2006 um and i've just done ever since then just periodically but it's it's very much just a, like a an exorcism the music is just like throwing every everything at the wall and just kind of like getting it off my chest and you know to a ridiculous level which i just i love taking taking things to like a like a stupid place that's just you know i i love it's it bands like um the flying lutenbachers and the locust and dillinger that just go to like total extremes that combat wounded veteran was one i really loved um but the problem for me was that I just didn't have any peers, you know, in this area that wanted to play music like that. So that's why it kind of became more of a, like a glitchy, like a electronic project. Um, and then at some point in the late 2000s, I turned it into like a, a little social experiment where I, I was in college and I, I turned it into, um, into, I was releasing the, writing and releasing the same music, but with pitch shifted vocals to kind of sound like a like a girl. And I had a a couple of my friends from college 
play the band in, in a music video, so I, I, I renamed it Exam and did a couple of music videos and kind of like had a MySpace page for it, and, and it actually started gaining some traction, which I thought was funny because I'd been doing the same music, you know, just as me, and then kind of like once you put this whole image to it, it becomes kind of like more interesting, and especially I think the, you know, when people thought it was what I was presenting it as, it was it was a, it was just an interesting experiment. So um, I, I uh, got a couple of like record label offers and and um, reviews in in alternative press and stuff like that when they thought it was the girls, but when it was just me, <laughs> no, nobody, nobody ever, <laughs> which oh, I loved, which yeah. I loved. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just this ridiculous project I've always had. And, and I thought that, 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 uh, calling it greatest hits was funny because it's, it's mostly unlistenable at times. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's coming out on Halloween. So I just wanted to wrap it up because I, I haven't had, um, I think it's something I am closing the door on. And, um, that project or computer club? Um, if yeah, specifically if yeah, I don't, I don't think that I, I think I, that's run its course for me. It's really hard now with, with having, you know, my, my kids and, and work and everything. So, I still, of course, like I can never stop making music, but that that project I think is has this is kind of like the the last chapter for that. Gotcha. And you're doing uh, fifteen CDs and twenty four cassettes, according to the Bandcamp page. So super limited on physical media there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just being really honest about the the amount that I'm getting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very specific. Bandcamp is isn't sorted by release date, so that I have that last okay. liar record up up near the top because that's one of my all time favorite albums. Okay. Um, that was a that was a band that Two Thirty Eight played with in Seattle back in in two thousand um, that I loved. But um, oh yeah, but um, actually, Computer Club is still a thing. It's just been kind of just a when I have time kind of thing. I I, I start I kind of restarted it in 2012 or 2013 and started releasing just cassettes. So I, I've released, um, I think, 10 cassettes. I think okay. the, the issue one, the issue one is the 10th cassette I've released in the, in that number of years. Um, but it's, you know, it's a combination of, I did actually release the, the, the one I'm most proud of was the first or second release was a compilation that uh I had a song on under the name Verony R and Shelby from from Frodas had a song as Triobelisk um and it's kind of like a dark wave compilation. But uh the releases have been there there's also a like a 
like a power violence or punk band that I was in called Dredger um, that I released a tape by and a couple of other St. Augustine bands or Florida bands and so yeah it's still it's something I do just when when I have time uh, there's another St. Augustine band called Ghost Tropic that I'm going to put a, a tape and CD out by probably either by the end of the year or the start of next year and I, I really want to re-release the Eastern Wave, which is um, my probably if if I had to say there was a band that I'm in, that would be the band that I'm in. Even though it's not doing anything at the moment, it's that's probably the most me band that I have. Um, and uh, the, uh, the I, I released a, an album ten years ago called All Cause It All Lose. That's mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably my my proudest. Um, I, I, it's just my favorite thing that that I've worked on, and I would really like to re-release it because it was only ever put out for free on Bandcamp with a couple of burned CDs. So that's kind of in, in my sights to to maybe actually do a physical release for that next year. Thanks for listening to As the Story Grows. Our theme song was written and composed by the legendary Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give the show a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, click on the Patreon link at asthestorygrows.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening. I never felt so young and alive as when I'm diving into a tomb. And now I'm learning as I listen along, and the wheels are turning, and I started a song.